widening how we see the impact of culture on learning, practice and identity development in clinical environments. Dale Sheehan and Tim Wilkinson, University of Otago, Christchurch. Abstract. As part of the State of the Science series on self, society and situation, we focus on how we might see the situation of the workplace as a learning environment in the future. Research to date into how health professionals learn while working in clinical workplace environments has mostly focused on the supervisor-trainee relationship or on the interaction between the affordances of a workplace and the receptiveness of trainees. However, the wider environment is not received as much focus, though frequently mentioned it is seldom investigated. We suggest there is a need to embrace the wider institutional factors, recognise and acknowledge an organisation's values and cultures as they impact on clinical learning, in order to work with these, not around them or ignore them, to make what may be tacit visible through reflection and observation, and to embrace a range of perspectives on culture. Leonardo da Vinci Develop your senses, especially learn how to see. Realise that everything connects to everything else. Introduction Since the turn of the century, health professional education scholars have become increasingly interested in the clinical learning environment, positioning research to understand what helps and hinders learning in workplace settings. The focus has included uncovering the affordances that the workplace offers, the environment, social and physical aspects, the role of the supervisor, and the agency of the learners. These are all intended to maximise the opportunity the learning environment presents. The embracing of social cultural perspectives, workplace learning theory, situated learning, and situativity theory have supported these endeavours. As part of the State of Science series, Self, Society and Situation, we focus on how we might see the situation more broadly and how culture might influence this. First, some clarification of terms. By situation, we refer to clinical learning environments. The clinical learning environment itself has resisted definition, but for our purposes, includes a clinical workplace where learning occurs. This deliberately wide view encapsulates the environments that primarily focus on work, as well as those that focus on the delivery of healthcare services while providing learning experiences for practitioners and trainees. It includes undergraduate and postgraduate training, as well as ongoing practice stages of training. We also see this as including all health professions. Some try to separate work from learning, but we take a more integrated view. It was not until 2019 that a conceptual framework of the learning environment was proposed, which highlighted a personal component, a social component, an organisational component, physical spaces and virtual spaces. Likewise, culture has resisted definition. Culture-like competence may have become a god term in health professional education. Lingard warns us that the danger with god terms is that through repeated use and familiarity, they become suggestive of a natural, universal and inevitable order of reality. Teasing them apart is an exercise in making them unfamiliar excavating the motivations that underpin them, and opening space for an adaptive and flexible discourse. However, recent work, which we discuss later in this paper, has clarified components of culture. We summarise how professional educators have evolved their thinking about how individuals learn while working in health environments. We review the emergent dialogue concerning learning in clinical workplace environments, 
Recently, we moved to include observational studies in our own work, which has alerted us to the work of others around culture and its impact on learning environments. We share our reflections and offer illustrative case studies, concluding that organisation culture and wider aspects of culture are factors that are often mentioned but less often explored. We discuss the implications for practice and research. What we know. A now outmoded view contended that learning could be controlled by what is taught. The focus then moved to learning outcomes, reflecting greater agency and trust in the learner. Later developments followed the realisation that learning in workplaces is not as predictable as first thought, so there was a greater focus on the role of the supervisor. This led to the view that the supervisor could control or manage what is learnt, and if the trainee was not learning, then somehow it was either a problem with the trainee, the supervisor or the dyad. Influenced by the wider field of vocational education and social learning paradigms, later research turned attention to the learning environment and learners' experiences of these environments. As an example, in our own research and working with Stephen Billet, we investigated learners' experiences of the clinical environment and what supervisors could do to support participation as an essential ingredient for learning. We considered how learning occurred within communities of practice and became interested in understanding what the workplace afforded learners and how this was influenced by workflow and the physical environment. This contrasts with trying to map learning outcomes to work experience to ensure that every competency is covered. Conceptualisations at that time came to view the culture surrounding the learning environment as at best out of control and worse, something to be ignored. It was often seen as negative, adapting the, the term the hidden curriculum, which came to be seen as synonymous with the adverse impacts of the learning environment. Bullying became a focus of one of these adverse incomes. But even here, we tended to view this through a limited, uniprofessional lens. To fix the bullying of medical students, we needed to focus on the doctors. To fix the bullying of nurses, we needed to focus on nurses. In fact, a bullying culture is more a reflection of the environmental culture and often occurs across disciplines. As research explored what made a good apprentice, a good supervisor and a good learning environment, it offers some key messages. Learner participation is key. The environment does the teaching by affording opportunities for learning, but this needs to be supported by the supervisor. In order for learners to have agency and a voice, they need safe environments. While acknowledging the impacts of work pressure, human factors and other factors, that could lead to errors. Direct observation of learning environments helps gain an understanding of team communication to see where learning events happen and to explore how and where interprofessional learning occurs. Our paper starts with a quote from Leonardo Vinci who suggests we need to develop our senses to help us realise that things connect to each other. We suggest there is a need to embrace the wider institutional factors, recognise and acknowledge an organisation's values and cultures as they impact on models of patient care and clinical learning in order to work with these, not around them or ignore them, to make what may tacit visible through reflection and observation, and to embrace a range of perspectives on culture. 3. The Emergent Dialogue a conceptual framework of the learning environment highlighted the role of organisational culture 
including the importance of policies, leadership, regulatory bodies and accreditation. Alongside this, authors in quality of improvement have described healthcare organisation culture as a metaphor for the softer, less visible aspects of health service organisations and how those become manifest in patterns of care. This work highlights the need to broaden the scope of learning environment work to explore the impact of organisational culture on healthcare practices and therefore the affordances, or not, offered in specific learning environments. Both perspectives remind us of the impact of culture on the supervisor and the learner, particularly as learners strive to create their professional identities. What is now emerging is an interest in the impact of the wider organisation in which a trainee and a supervisor are situated, how this impacts on learning and how this varies across health services, cities, regions and countries. As part of exploring these institutional factors, a critical review by Behrman et al. is timely in its invitation to medical educators to invoke culture. Their work revealed that medical educators comment on culture frequently, but usually negatively or from a neutral stance. They found that there is a notable absence around conceptualisations of culture that allow educators, students and administrators agency, but at the same time acknowledge the influence of social settings and practices. Watling et al. offer a framework that recognises three perspectives on culture. Organisation, identity and practice. The organisational perspective highlights the shared assumptions and values that bind individuals within an organisation. The identity perspective highlights the power of communal narratives to shape how individuals see themselves. The practice perspective highlights activity and human material networks or arrangements. We have embraced or adapted these perspectives and for each we offer illustrative case studies and potential programmes of inquiry while recognising there is a common thread across all three. Working within and across these perspectives is very likely to complement other work and or provide opportunities for partnership with other health researchers and design mixed method approaches with interdisciplinary collaborators. We provide a figure in the published article that provides a conceptual view illustrating that the culture of a learning environment is multi-layered and multifactorial. To Watling XL's perspectives, we have added the cultures associated with society, the education providers and the profession itself. The individual be most aware of the culture of the immediate situation, commonly the practice environment, particularly the clinical team. But this also includes a physical layout, the rhythms of room, and the work tools or equipment, therefore the artefacts that they use. However, such placements will in turn be influenced by the organisational culture of the health service and that of society itself. Interacting with all these factors are the culture of the profession and the education providers. Most importantly, however, these cultures will not necessarily be aligned and recognising such elements can cause tension for individuals. Organisational culture Organisational culture shapes assumptions about ways of thinking, what knowledge is worthwhile and commonly accepted, and how knowledge will be used within healthcare settings, how patient care is delivered. An organisation culture is influenced by its vision, mission, values, leadership models, 
funding, job design, performance management, teamwork, innovation, methods for conflict resolution, supervision, clinical leadership and managerial styles. Bem and Metal also noticed that the underlying conceptions of the term culture sit alongside a continuum from culture as immovable to culture as usable and malleable. We would like to think that the latter is true for learning, so that we could partner with organisations to uncover development and improve its learning culture. Clinical educators attached to undergraduate and postgraduate programmes are not the only ones working to develop agency and workers. Here, it is encouraging to see some evidence that even for organisations not primarily involved in education, culture is strongly associated with knowledge sharing behaviour and with knowledge management. Organisations want to ensure safe patient care and to embrace new technology and new skills. They want to build skills for competence and capability and develop into professional understandings. The idea that there could be symbiosis between an education organisation and a health service is not new, but it does suggest there are unmet opportunities to, invi to invite synergies in learning environments, to work with and not against the hidden curriculum. This would embrace health services as partners in knowledge development, a collaborative interprofessional care and collaborative practice, a partner to ensure safe and healthy environments for all, and a partner to improve patient outcomes. Each organisation is likely to offer different opportunities. Describing and understanding those opportunities could help us make better use of them. For example, health service organisations often describe themselves as learning organisations and have relevant teams such as quality improvement specialists, professional development staff and wellbeing practitioners. These teams are tasked with important goals for learning and work culture that align to those of formal education. Using a wider lens and seeing how these things can connect to each other should be captured in our analysis of workplace environment. Case study to illustrate the organisational culture. In response to an in-depth investigation in the United Kingdom into causes of prescribing errors by foundation trainees, two health services in New Zealand recognised a similar problem. Prescribing errors were detected by pharmacists, but there was not a culture of interprofessional collaboration, so preempting such errors through doctor-pharmacist collaboration did not occur. The education units of both health services partnered with quality improvement pharmacists and explored ways to leverage the interprofessional collaboration between doctors and pharmacists in their everyday interactions to promote effective prescribing practice. The pharmacists brought their quality improvement expertise and the education units brought expertise in workplace learning and interprofessional education to address the problem. They partnered with each other and found not only reduction in errors but an improvement in collaborative culture. There was greater impact at one site compared with the other. The qualitative interview data from learners and educators provided insight into why and offered a valuable lesson regarding transferability and organisational culture. The site with the greatest effect had a simulation unit that provided a high level of support for the simulations as well as prior, prior experience of interprofessional ward-based coaching. Shared clinical leadership and a commitment to co-design of health services and improvement learning 
were espoused organisational goals. It therefore had a workplace environment and culture with prerequisites for undertaking the programme with a strong culture of collaboration between the two services. The other site had a lesser effect and retrospectively we realised that it needed to undertake more training and briefing prior to implementation. Dual site implementation reminds us that workplace contextual and cultural factors will vary across sites and any widespread implementation needs to anticipate this. All sites have their own implementation strengths and challenges. Practice culture. Practice culture is often manifest at the healthcare team level. Trainees often notice this. The norms, expectations and common practices are acceptable on one team, maybe less acceptable on another. This is sometimes encapsulated in the phrase, this is how we do things here. Such a culture is often set by a senior member of the team, a senior nurse or senior doctor. Each team has its idiosyncrasies and protocols, not all of which are explicit or even able to be enunciated by the team members. Understanding these idiosyncrasies and making them explicit has been found to be an important prerequisite to effective supervision. They can also shape what affordances the workplace offers and therefore what can be learnt. Likewise, the physical layout and equipment that is available and the natural rhythm of the workplace are all influential on learning, yet very considerably from place to place. Rather than pretend these are variations that do not exist, we need to find ways to make them more explicit so that we can then understand how they act. This is particularly important when scaling up an education programme or rolling out a programme to other centres. Supervisors are both influenced by and contributors to the organisation's culture, often in a cyclic, interdependent way. Because of their immersion in a local culture, they may not be aware of how it is impacting on their tacit beliefs about supervision and their identity as a supervisor. Cantillon et al. suggest faculty development should attempt to increase teachers' mindfulness of the environment factors that sharpen their identities, beliefs and practices as supervisors. This has implications for supervisor training, highlighting a need to assist new supervisors to move away from having the appropriate disposition to enacting the appropriate disposition. Supervisors may benefit from being provided with opportunities to deliberately reflect on their assumptions, e.g. about hierarchy, workload or priorities in the teaching versus patient tension. The identity of supervisor, the tacit beliefs and understanding they have about the role are likely influenced by the organisation-wide view. Case studies to illustrate the practice environment. Case study one. As a trainer of supervisors, one of the authors oversaw an exercise within a supervisor training course where participants were asked to audit their learning environment. They were asked to step back, observe and reflect on their workplace as a learning environment to identify the learning opportunities of the placement. This was an activity drawn from the concept of mapping the workplace curriculum, but undertaken at a more micro level. Supervisors in training reported this as a helpful and an eye-opening activity appreciating the value of looking at a familiar environment through a change of lens.
In class, they shared barriers and worked on solutions for workarounds. Case study two. Direct observation of a learning environment and uncovered learning often occurred in bite-sized pieces, less than one minute at a time, and were more likely to occur in specified places and at particular times uh, due to the nature and rhythm of the work. Case study three. The pathways of experiences and pedagogic properties of two midwifery placement sites were mapped to identify how the midwifery curriculum could be ordered and augmented by particular pedagogic practices that realised the program's intended learning outcomes. The two different practice-based experiences generated distinct learning outcomes for the students. Identity. Developing a professional identity is one of the tasks of becoming an independent health professional. Learning environment and its culture also impact on identity which in turn depends on the stage of training. At an undergraduate level, the learning environment is most often seen as the source of clinical experiences. Later, as new graduates, it is seen as a place to shape professional identity, to shape career decisions and to be employed. It is only when health professionals become more senior and fully immersed in the work environment that such environments become more consistent and predictable. It is at the more senior level, however, that practitioners have greater agency in shaping the environment culture. An internship can be viewed as a period of identity formation and as a self-determined active process of becoming a doctor. It requires a wider perspective than enculturation or socialisation theories to understand the significant transition. For example, a model from management literature could be used to describe internship is a process of becoming as an unfolding and a transition of the self over time. Learning to be part of an interprofessional team is another challenge to professional identity. It requires balancing perspectives and juggling one's own professional roles with team roles. Activities such as healthcare team challenges have increased students and interns' understanding of each other's professions and roles and led to recognising each other in the workplace. For new practitioners, there is much identity work to undertake and the challenge of moving into a profession and working in an environment that for many may be at odds with their values and perception of their role as a health professional. The enculturation of individuals into a work environment has been well illustrated recently in New Zealand where the medical workforce has seen a substantial increase in Indigenous, this Māori and Pacific graduating doctors. The following case study, taken from the perspective of Emma Espiner, a newly graduated Māori doctor, in an award-winning podcast, demonstrates the challenges of managing identity as a Māori medical student within a health workplace culture that is predominantly non-Māori and within a healthcare system associated with unequal health outcomes for Māori. Case study illustrating reconciling personal culture with organisational culture. In a podcast series, a Maori medical student, Emma Espiner, describes what it is like working in a health system that discriminates against your people. She says, unequal outcomes is jargon for a better chance of dying if you're a Maori. She discusses how it is one thing to learn about Maori health statistics at medical school and another to see this playing out in real time with real people 
your father or extended family. She describes the experience of a general practitioner working as a doctor for a Maori health provider. She, she says, Once I described my epiphany to someone who was heavily involved in the health of her, her community, she snorted when I started to expound on my conceptualization of wellness and said, in not so many words, that for Maori, wellness is not individual wellness, but is instead the wellness arising from collectivism. While community governance and ownership are defining features of this particular Maori health provider, this does not translate into having control over the delivery of health care into the communities that that provider services. Like all Maori health providers, the funding mechanisms, contract reporting requirements and measures of success are dictated by and defined by structures that, and systems that reflect a non-Maori world. It is this environment that further distinguishes Maori health providers, the ongoing political struggle for self-determination, and it is in this world that I work. This example reflects that the challenge for Maori health practitioners is that they are advocating for change while having to do their best within the current system. She says, you are putting on the band-aid while designing the new world and all the while fighting those who do not agree with you. This case study illustrates the impact of society, culture on an organisation and how health services are provided. It also illustrates how dominant culture can perpetuate inequities. Furthermore, it shows how these effects can be manifest at the individual level, while a practitioner from one culture may find it hard to reconcile their values and beliefs with those of the organisation. It further illustrates that it should not always be the individual who has to change to fit within the organisation's culture. Rather, individuals can advocate for wider system changes. Revealing culture. If we are to better understand these effects of culture, how might we recognise them? Culture is often unseen by those immersed in it, but can be recognised by noting norms and values. Some questions to uncover these unseen norms might be to ask, do we observe each other's practice and how is this enacted? Is it seen as a way of helping each other learn? Or is it to make judgments? How do institutions feed back to each other? How does a health service feed back to a training institution? And how does a training institution feed back to a health service? What happens or is the response of that feedback? How are opinion leaders and change advocates perceived? And what barriers and enablers do they encounter? How do we make time for our employees to learn? Do we feel safe to speak up and offer ideas of quality improvement? Who has the power to do this? What are the critical times and places that staff meet and what is discussed at these meetings? What aspects of practice have strict protocols and are seen as how we do things here? What activities are learners discouraged from? What is easy to learn here and what is more difficult? How are interprofessional views integrated in decisions? How might culture draw distress to a new trainee? What drives students to impress in the workplace and what behaviours are seen as impressive? Why are some clinical environments seen as more supportive of diversity than others? Why are issues of equity addressed? Do people feel safe to speak up when they see problems with equity, 
or staff well-being. The way forward. One place we believe it can be fruitful to start is to partner with health organisations to unpack the practice learning culture. Two of the most popular assessments that organisations use are engagement surveys and culture surveys. Perhaps making more use of cultural survey is a way forward. In health professional education, it's common to survey learners to understand their experience of a placement. Organisations undertake engagement surveys to understand the employee's personal experience of work, how they feel about their roles, workload, relationships with managers and colleagues, job stress. Both of these address the I perspective, much as learner evaluations of placements do. In contrast, cultural surveys tell us how the workforce perceives the current culture in terms of behaviours and norms that people are required to fit in with. Cultural surveys address the we perspective. For example, a Korean study found that clan and advocacy cultures had strong positive relationships with organisational learning, while market and hierarchical conferences showed no such relationships. While the results of such surveys may be open to interpretation and their usefulness challenged, the discussion and conversations that ensue could be informative. If we have to understand fully the situation in which we place health professional learners, we may need to broaden our theoretical approach and wither our research methods. Research to date has been informative when it has used ethnography and direct observation, possibly as it assists in uncovering that which is accepted, unseen, taken for granted. Not just our tacit knowledge and practice, but our deeply ingrained beliefs taken from the society in which we grew up, our race and gender. It can help explore the intersection of professional culture, our educational culture and the organisations we practice in. We should explore collaborative research that extends beyond the triad of trainee, supervisor and patient to create research synergy among education, ethnography, quality improvement and implementation science. Behrman suggests that other literature on learning cultures and cultural reflexivity may help explore a territory which is mostly overlooked, how people can effectively influence a culture whilst recognising the strong forces exerted by the social. Conclusions We suggest we need to reframe our views and see the messiness of the learning environment as a component to be embraced component that provides opportunities for partnering with health and patient organisations to achieve the goal we all aspire to, safe and effective patient care. Patient care is our obligation to society and completes a triad within the state of the science series of self-situation in society. Furthermore, we suggest that we've only just begun to see what we mean by the learning environment. It is more than the work that needs to be done, and it is more than the trainee and supervisor relationship. It is the interprofessional, institutional, physical, cultural, routinized, and systematic. Learning is shaped not only by what we intend trainees to learn, how we supervise them, and the work that has to be done, but it is shaped by the physical environment the interactions and behaviours of other health professionals and the system in place to guide them.
Finally, learning is influenced by the cultural norms that value, or not, whether we can learn from each other, how work and learning are prioritised, and who holds knowledge. Not only do we need to broaden what we see, but we should broaden the research methods by which we see it, and the collaborators with whom we work. Mm-hmm.